that I think will be appropriate for this time of year. I read through 2 Samuel in my devotions this last month and uh, just finished up a couple, well, the first of the week at the end of last week in 2 Samuel and um, landed on this for the topic for this evening. A, t- a message titled, A Drink from Christmas Town. In 2 Samuel 23, in verse 13, if you look down there, read a few verses here. And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Raphaim. And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. McAdenville, North Carolina. From December 1st, which was Friday, to December 26th, every year, every home in the town takes part in the Christmas Festivals of Lights. In other words, every night, uh, every home, there's 600, from what I understand, 600 in the population, 600 homes, I believe, in the town of McAdenville. And from ni- since 1956, everyone participates. There are over 300,000 cars that will visit this small town. It is entitled Christmas Town, USA. USA Today rated it the third of the top ten places in the United States to visit during Christmas. Uh, Top three of uh, places to visit Christmas. I remember when I was a kid, we had a a lane, a, a road in our town in Thomaston, Georgia, and it was called Christmas Lane. And every year during Christmas season, I don't know, it was part of the HOA in that little, if they even had HOA, but it was just one of those you know, assumptions that if you lived on this lane, that you put out Christmas lights and a Christmas um, uh, a display at Christmas time. And the whole town, people would come from all over middle Georgia to come to this little, t- this little road that was just off of the main four-lane highway, and they would have the police officers and everything directing traffic, and it was just one straight road. You came down, and every home on that road, on both sides, and people would walk up and down, and there was no, there was no fee or anything like that. And I remember every year we would gather together, and some of our people in our church, we would go down there, and we would visit Christmas Lane. The memories that I had as a child... Uh, looking at the Christmas lights. I remember a few times in Coleman coming up here to, to Huntsville, one of the few times that we'd come uh, to the Huntsville area and go to the Galaxy of Lights 
and, uh, and see them. That was when it was much cheaper. <laughs> um, and uh, so Christmas lights are both a part of the Christmas season. Uh, every once in a while, our family would drive around. and still does, uh, takes a time or a night and drives around some of the neighborhoods around Huntsville and looking at the different Christmas displays and the different Christmas lights, creating memories with your children, things that they will remember when they're older about the Christmas season. It's about making memories with your children. And sometimes the things that I remember as a kid that was, you know, really fun and exciting was actually catastrophes to my parents and uh, things that just didn't turn out like they thought it was supposed to. But I look back at it and see it as a, as a wonderful, uh, great memory that we have. The scripture uh, here records for us a time when David is thinking of his childhood. He remembers a memory of, of his hometown of where he was born. And it prompts a longing in his heart for some water from that town. That town is none other than the lowly home place of David, Bethlehem. Now last Sunday, if you were here, I, I preached on the bread, right? Uh, in the Lord's Prayer. And you remember I had a bread. I even this morning when I was preaching, I still had a little bit of, a little bit of that, that loaf that I whacked on the podium. If you were here Wednesday night, you noticed that I preached on throwed rolls. All right? Well, that's two, not two night services. Tonight, I'm preaching on Bethlehem. Does anyone know what Bethlehem means? A house of bread. All right? So three nights in a row. All right, and uh, the Lord just brings us back. We're thinking of bread. So uh, that must be the theme for Christmas. Have lots of bread at Christmas time. Now, I, I want to see this. We know this Christmas story is situated, the Christmas story is situated in this town, Bethlehem. It's a wonderful place where Jesus is born. Every, we, we're going to sing some Christmas carols about Bethlehem. And the event that happens is Jesus is born in the, main, uh, in the stable and placed in that manger. This was a special Christmas town. It is connected to us in the story. Not Jerusalem, not Bethel, not Jericho, not Hebron, not even Nazareth, but Bethlehem. Bethlehem is that special town of Christmas. And we know as you study through Bethlehem throughout the Scripture, you realize it is a place of sadness where Rachel will mourn for her children, where, where Mary will, will mourn for those who, who are killed by Herod. It is also a place of the supply of bread as Ruth and, and Naomi will come back from Moab, and, and there in the fields find the kindness of Boaz, and there bread supplied from them, but not just bread, now a kinsman redeemer, a husband is in the field as she sees that. What a, that all happens in the, in the fields of Bethlehem. It was a place of humble birth. David, the shepherd boy, was born there. And Micah will record that Jesus, the Messiah, will also be born there, according to Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men come seeking the one who is born king of the Jews. They don't know where, he, where he's going to be born. They go straight to Micah 5. They find out he is going to be born in Bethlehem. 
So when we come to 2 Samuel 23, this town comes up again in the life of Jesus, or in the life of David, reminding us of this Christmas town. Now, let me give you a little bit of context in the story tonight in, in what is going on. Um, this happens while David is in the cave of Abdullah. That's what it says and recorded here for us in verse 13. While he was in the cave, David in that place was fleeing from Saul. In 2 Samuel is telling, retelling an event like a flashback of a story that happened much earlier in, in David's life. It actually takes place in about 1 Samuel chapter 22 and 23. When David is early in his ministry, running from Saul, who's trying to kill him, he finds his way into this cave in Adullam, and there he is hiding. It is during that time, it is after he kills Goliath, and he's already now become a, a warrior. David sets his camp up and his base up in these caves, and Adullam is between the valley of Elah and the city of Bethlehem. It's kind of in the hill country. Elah is where he killed Goliath. Bethlehem is his hometown. Jerusalem is about six miles to the north. He's hiding from Saul in a cave system of Adullam in the hill country, and this event takes place during that time. Another interesting thing happens in 1 Samuel chapter 22. While David is in the cave of Adullah, a group of men come to him. Turn back into 1 Samuel chapter 22. And look at verse 1. This is one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. It's 1 Samuel 22. It is during this time that David uh, writes Psalm 24 and 57. It also says that, that David um, receives some people. And David therefore departed hence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And notice, everyone that was in distress, everyone in debt, Everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them and they were with him for uh, they were with him about 400 men so all of these different type of people that come to him different different types of people who become loyal to David about 400 of them all together and i believe it is during that time that these 30 men that are listed in 2 Samuel 23 is, is the time where these men pledge their loyalty to David while he's in that cave. So he's got 400 men, misfit men. Men, it's interesting, the men who are in distress, men who are troubled, men who are discontented, men who are in debt. I mean, it's like, okay, what a bunch of men to come and, and lead. These type of men, it's kind of a crazy bunch of, of people who, who were just misfits, okay? We're, we're all the hurt. Where are all the heavy-hearted? Where are all the weary? Where are all the ones in debt? All right. Where are all the poor? Where are all the sick? How about you all come down to me and we're going to make an army? That's not the type of people necessarily that you would think that it would make a great army when you're running from the king. However, it's interesting that God will use these men over and over and over again for his glory. 
You see, it's not about their popularity. It's not about their class. It's not about whether they were really healthy or whether they had all their bills paid or all of this and they had everything. In fact, the emphasis on David's men are going to be on how they don't fit into the normal society. These are men who, who had a lot of struggles and a lot of problems and a lot of hurts. And this reminds me in the Scripture that God loves to work with people who will eventually give Him the glory and not take the glory for themselves. And in 2 Samuel 23, we're going to hear about the record of 30 of these mighty men who choose to be loyal and do great things and uh, coming out of a bunch of misfits. God will do this over and over again. Because God is looking for just willing people. So just thinking about that in 2 Samuel 22, when we think about these group of men who are, who are gathered together with David, these are just willing men whom God is, who God wants to use to overcome their past. Notice that in this chapter, he's going to record some of the mighty acts that these misfits do. These, um, these uh, discontented men. All right, these, these uh, poor and hurting and, and troubled, yet they will be recorded here in this chapter of doing some amazing feats, such as um, Adino. Adino is recorded in, um, where is he, finds himself in verse 9, Eleazar. Uh, well, that's Eleazar just before that. You have uh, this man named Adino in verse 8. There he is. Uh, these be the names of the mighty men whom David had. And down at the bottom, the same was Adino, the Ezanite. He lifted up his spear against 800, and he slew them at one time. So Adino here is going to kill 800 men by himself. Notice the odds. 800 to 1. This reminds me of the courage that this man had to stand and not be afraid. He, even though he was overwhelmed with the enemy, he stood there, stood his ground, and he was able to defeat 800 of them all by himself. In verse 9, you have Eleazar, son of Dodo. Right, how about you like to have a dad named Dodo? All right, verse 9, Eleazar, the son of Dodo. One of the, the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. And he arose, and he smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. So hear this story of Eleazar, where he stood against the Philistines and everyone else left. He's the only man that is left there and he holds on to his sword and he's determined that he's not going to give up. Even when he gets tired, he's going to keep on going. And when he's weary, he keeps swinging. This speaks here of this man who had endurance. Endurance to do the hard thing. When everybody else left him, he continued Stayed with it. In verse 11, we've got another man named Shemaiah, the son of Agi. He's recorded as standing in a field. And when he stood in the field in the piece of ground, in verse 11, of the lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defeated it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord brought a great victory. 
Here, here is a, a, a story of a man who's willing to stand for truth. And he stands for what he believes in. And even though the crowd may, may flee and run away, he's willing to stand for what he believes in. In verse 20, we have recorded a man named Benaiah, the son of Kabzeel. All right? These guys had some really cool dads. All right? Dodo and um, Kabzeel and a gee, all right, those are some really, really cool dads to have. Now, interesting is this boy, Benaiah, what's recorded about him in this passage is that he's, he kills two lion-like men of Moab. And Moab men are, are pretty uh, stout kind of guys. Or we heard about Moab this morning and uh, the Moabites. And on top of that, he killed a lion on a snowy day, as it's recorded. He also killed an Egyptian. Some have indicated this Egyptian was over seven feet tall. He plucked the spear out of his hand like a pencil. This man had internal strength, zeal to go looking for a lion on a snowy day. I don't know where you are when it snows, but I'm inside. This guy, Benaiah, decides that he's going outside in a pit... It's not like this lion is roaming around looking to eat people. He's been captured in a pit, not bothering anybody, and decides to jump down into the pit. This guy is looking for trouble. This guy's a, a courageous man. He accomplishes a feat that, that many people would ignore, killing a lion and two lion-like men and a seven-foot Egyptian. I mean, the feats and the things that he participates in. He did it in the hardest places, under the hardest circumstances. I don't know much more uh, harder circumstance than to work out uh, outside in two feet of snow. That's, that's uh, some, some types of environment you don't want to be in. But I'm just saying, I'm record, uh, these are just record of some of the acts that these mighty men who gather around David to do. And then right in the middle of telling these feats, the author Samuel, or the, the one who comes to edit later after the death of Samuel, comes in in 2 Samuel and records this event about David longing for a drink. Right in the middle of telling these great feats of killing seven-foot men, lions, lion-like men, standing in the field, odds of about 800 to 1, and then the Holy Spirit chooses to record this very interesting story. One of mystery, spies, adventure, suspense, drama, emotion. I mean, everything that a good movie would, would have in it. This little story has in it. David is king. He's been anointed king, even though Saul is on the throne. Chapter 15. Saul is wicked, still on the throne. David's hiding in this cave. He oversees his little village of Bethlehem while he's hiding. He encamped. In the city is the Philistines. And I can see him just standing there, maybe outside the cave behind a tree or something. And he just kind of standing there and he puts his hand on his chin and he just looks down at Bethlehem and he just says, Boy, I sure would like a drink. You know, there's a well by the gate. Notice he, he knew exactly the spot where the water was. Down by the gate, I just... I, it just would make me feel better. Do you have, do you have a comfort food? I mean, when you're sick, or when you're not doing well, or, or something, and you just long for, for that comfort food, 
All right. I asked somebody the other day oh, what their comfort food. Somebody said potato soup. All right. Is that, that comfort to food? I remember when I was a kid, there was a restaurant, uh, just a kitchen, uh, uh, a country's kitchen just down the road. And we would go there and they would make vegetable soup. They would take some of their, their vegetables from, from their buffet and they would put it together and make a really good vegetable soup. And we would get that sometime during winter, sometimes at Christmas time. And we'd bring it home and we would eat that vegetable soup. And, and as a kid, that was my comfort food. You've got a comfort food. Here David, in his time of distress, he looks back at a childhood memory and he says, wouldn't it be great if I just had some water from that well that I had when I was a kid? Our family. Now the Philistines are there. And while he says that, three men overhear him. I mean, maybe they were standing nearby and they were thinking, I wonder what I'm going to get David for Christmas. You got somebody that's kind of hard to get for? He's like, okay, I wonder what I'm going to get them. I got this. I've asked them, and they really told me I just, I would really like to do something really special for them, but I just don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, you overhear a conversation, you know, well, I need some pots and pans, or I would really like a, a this. And you, and you go over to Amazon, and you start Googling it and trying to figure out what, what the price is, and, and you finally figured it out. These three men just overhear a conversation that David is probably talking to himself. I, w- I, I sure would like a drink from Bethlehem. And they're listening. And maybe one of them says to the other, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And the other says, well, if you'll do it, I'll do it. And the other comes in and says, well, we're going to have to plan, have a plan for that because this, the Philistines control that, that area. Maybe it was Eleazar. Maybe it was Abishai, Benaiah. We're not told the exact names. So these three men sneak past the guards into the town by the gate secretly draw from the well behind enemy lines and bring it back to David and surprise him with it. You ever tried to surprise somebody on Christmas morning with a gift and they already knew what you were going to get there? They had already gone through the closet and looked through. They had checked your text messages in your list on your phone just to see what they're getting for Christmas or maybe a little one that likes to find the the gifts that you've got hidden around and and looking for those extra gifts. And, And they blew your surprise. Talk about David's surprise when these guys come up with a pitcher of water that's come from Bethlehem and they say, here, David, here's you some water. I overheard this was what you wanted. You've always wanted this memory from your, your town and from your childhood. We went there last night. And we spent our life, you, you should have saw, we climbed around here, and we climbed around there, and we, and we got in, and, 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 and he was doing a really good job watching out as we climbed down in that well and pulled the water out and brought it back, and we did it, and nobody even knew that we did it. And interesting of the story, David opens the lid to the jar, and he pours it out. What would it have been like to be one of those three men when David... You just risked your life. David recognizes that because part of what he does, he realizes the seriousness that they have laid their life down for him, for one drink of water. And he takes it and he pours it out. The look on David's face, the look on these three men. Now, I've, I've talked 
and showed you the story, but can I just give you some points of application tonight when we close? These men were dedicated to their king. I mean, they were loyal to David. They loved him so much that they were willing to risk their life for him. And they were willing to sacrifice their entire well-being to give David what he wanted. You see, David was their leader. They were his servants. They did not view themselves as equal to David. They viewed themselves as unworthy. And he was their king. And he was their leader. And whatever he wanted, they would do. These men were loyal, not to tradition, not to a party, not to a program. They were loyal to a man. And, and they loved him and they cared for him. They loved a person. They were loyal to a person. We need people in our day who will have this type of dedication to their God, their king. Now, ultimately, I know these men had a higher Loyalty that even surpassed David. Some of these men had to confront David at times. But I'm just drawing out that it had to take a great amount of loyalty and love for them to do what they did. These men were willing, even just listening to what he was desiring. Love your king. We need people who will be dedicated to the Savior. They were not even commanded to do this. They volunteered. 1 Samuel 22 and verse 1. They showed up. David was not on the throne. He was actually hiding in a cave. They showed up and said, David, you're our leader. We're going to follow you. God has anointed you. We saw what you did with Goliath. We know your courage and faith in Jehovah. And we're going to get in line. And whatever you say, we'll do. We'll follow. Interesting, they were just overheard a conversation and they were willing to risk their life. They were dedicated. These men were dedicated to David with a reflection of their dedication to the Lord. You know, some people are more dedicated to their sports teams than they are to doing what's right. Dedicated to, to, to people in society and and different things, sports fans or, or, um, or, or movie stars, dedicated. I remember a few years ago, just before Christmas, we, um, we had a dinner out at the Packers Stadium in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It was a group of pastors. They had a special speaker. Kabir Bajab Biamila was his name. Um, he was a Hall of Fame lineman who holds to this day the most sacks for the Green Bay Packers. He gave in that speech his testimony of how he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior from a Muslim background. He walked around the room and went through the Hall of Fame uh, portion of the, the stadium showing us, and he would tell us about, this person is a really good Christian, loves the Lord. This guy, not so much. He talked about Reggie White. He was mentored under Reggie White and his testimony of how he knew the Lord as well. And this guy had dedicated himself to the Lord and all the different awards that he had received playing through the NFL and achieving all of these awards. And yet he, he was outspoken and honest to show everyone that he was more dedicated to God 
and Jesus in his life than anything else. Interesting from a Muslim background that he would change his dedication from Islam to Christianity. He was dedicated because he had changed his loyalty. These men also had a desire to please their king more than anything else. Anything he wanted, they wanted David to be happy. They didn't care about their own lives, their own wealth, or their health, or their own comforts. All they cared about was, is David pleased? You know the phrase, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Interesting, if the king's not happy, then these men knew that they weren't doing their job. Their job was to do whatever the king desired and whatever he wanted. So when David, just out of a hunch, wanted a drink from Bethlehem, these men were overwhelmed by wanting to please him. This was a simple, small desire, not even a major one. David was just speaking to himself as a wish for something he would want, not even a major event. And yet these men were willing at the slide of a hat to just do as best as they could to risk their life for a cup of water. And in fact, they didn't want anything in return. No rewards, no thrones, no crowns, no promotion, no kingdom. They weren't looking for money. They did it just to please David. Because when he poured the water out, there's no bitterness. There's no anger. They don't lash out to him. They're not upset with him. The story just moves on. They were not in it for themselves. Whatever David wanted to do. It reminds me of the wise men who came from the east to worship Jesus. What they gave up. They just wanted to please the king. They just wanted to see him. They presented him gifts. These gifts to him. Because they wanted him and, and, and to, to show their worship to him. And to make sure that their lives were pleasing in his sight. They were living for the king of kings. Even in the smallest, littlest things. Can I ask you, are you willing to even please God in the little things? Like whether you eat or whether you drink. You do all to the glory of God. Not only did these men have a dedication to their king and a desire to please their king more than anything else, but that it had a devotion that did not go unrewarded. David pours out the drink on the ground. Why did he do that? Why, why did David? David, in, in doing this act, showed to these men that he was not worthy to drink the cup that they sacrificed for. We would think of it as seeing something as, well, you know, just I spent all that time and you just wasted it. But David's act of pouring it out, dedicating it to the Lord, spoke to the fact that the sacrifice that these men just made, David was not worthy. This is a sign of humility, humbleness. He gave up what he was not worthy of taking. And he turned it and gave it back to the Lord. David gave their sacrifice for him as a sacrifice back to God. I don't know what's the greater show of humility and sacrifice in this story. These men for David or for David 
to God. This is a great level of self-control and humility to put all your pride and selfishness and the peer pressure away. He could have drank the water and just kind of let the men go because he felt embarrassed about the situation. No, in front of them, he takes it, he dedicates it to the Lord, and he pours it out on the ground. This took some great humility and self-control. Even the possibility of offending them if he did it. But these men did not take it that way. They were honored to have the water they sacrificed to get David. They were honored for David to turn around and give it to God. He said, no, he didn't give it to God. He poured it out on the ground. No, he made a dedication to it and sacrificed it. No bitterness, no anger to David. They understood exactly what David was doing. I would have been mad and upset. Their deeds did not go unrewarded because God smiled on these three men for their action and chose to take a group of verses in a list of mighty acts like killing lions, 800 Philistines to one, and all this, and then record a story about getting a drink of water from Bethlehem. And yet the Lord shows, the Holy Spirit gives an emphasis of the story even within the list of acts because God saw it as a great act of sacrifice because these men just wanted to please Jehovah. Now as we think about this Christmas town and this story, Bethlehem only shows up in the Bible in a few places. Um, story of Ruth. Uh, the story of David. In the New Testament, the book of Micah, it only shows up as a prophecy in the book of Jeremiah. And then it shows up in the list of David's mighty men from this story as a sign of what these men were willing to sacrifice to please David, but ultimately they were not doing it for David, they were doing it for their Lord. Sacrificing Joshua Several years back when he was little for Christmas, uh, got one of those small violins. And he had watched me play violin. I think he was probably three or four years old for Christmas. Somebody gave him a little small one that he had. And he, he, poured, he picked it up and, and he had the little bow and the little violin. And he was walking around and he was screeching in it. And it was like, you know, I mean, it was like terrible noise. It was terrible. I put some rosin on the little bow and put it up there and it made a little bit better sound. And he took it to church with him. And I remember in the auditorium just kind of going around and he was up there to church and he was taking it to church. And while we were playing in the service and leading the song, he was in the, in the pew, you know, the little toddler. And, and he was just kind of, you know, making it. You couldn't really hear it. It was just so, so small, but there were people around and they just thought it was so funny. But he came to me and he said, Daddy, how do you like my sound? And he'd play a little song. And this sounded terrible. He's much better at the cello now. All right? But I remember as a, as a father looking down, it just, I just beamed, smiled. Here, here's my little one. All he wants to do is just wants to please me. That's what he wants to do. He, he's just going to do it in his best of his ability. And, but my heart smiled as he was attempting to please his father. And I think in this story, God is, is telling David, 
in a, in a way, David, I love you. I care for you. And even your wishes, even your desires, even your childhood memories are important to me. We talked pretty, pretty harsh about David this morning. But in this story, at this time in David's life, he was following and being obedient to the Lord. And because of that, he was experiencing hurt, and pain, and running for it. But right here, even a drink of water was important to God. And David, through these men who provided it, they were tools and instruments by which they provided that. David turned around and gave it to the Lord. And God said, I want to put that story for generations to come and Christians in 2023 to be able to read about that drink from Bethlehem, that drink from Christmastown. What is it that you have? Francis Havergal wrote the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, Consecrated Lord to Thee. It's poured out. It's given to you. Here's my life, Lord. Take it and use it because the only thing that matters in my life is that God would be pleased because I'm dedicated, loyal, I want to please him, and I know that what I do in this life will not go unrewarded. God sees even the little things that I do for him. Father, I pray as we close tonight. Interesting story about these three men. We don't even know their names. Who sacrificed their life to get David a drink of water from the town of the birth of Christ, Christmas town. And Lord, even this, this interesting story that is a great picture of humility and sacrifice, even for the little things that we long. Lord, would we be reminded of what you require from us? Um, our little time, energy, effort, even the little gifts that maybe you would use us like these men to accomplish a purpose and, and to be used as an instrument for, for someone else. Maybe something that we should dedicate and, and sacrifice and give the spirit of these men to, to think of others and not themselves. Uh, Lord, thank you for recording uh, this act in the midst of all of these heroic things that this, this story is here. For our, for our learning, for our example. Lord, would we be dedicated and loyal um, to you first and foremost and to the things that make you happy. And we would live our life, even this Christmas season, to please you from the, from the major things to what we would see as the minor things. That in everything we do, we do it because we want to honor and glorify your name we want you happy with us. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. God bless you.